We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. What on earth is that? It's a Journey into Comics Network production! Going forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? 14,605. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey Into Comics 283. I am your host, Nate. Today, rocking the solo cast. Uh, send my well wishes and love to Tyler, who's had some crazy shit going on in his world and needed a day of recovery. So much so that I took a day of recovery also, as you might notice, this did not come out and is not out for your listening pleasure this morning when you got up to go to your job. You're like... Fucking JIC to listen to, Nate. What are you doing? You're fucking it all up. Guys, I just had like a, a day of recovery yesterday and had delicious tasty foods and made some delicious tasty dinner and watched some movies and finished a TV series and stuff. And I thought, you know what? I want to hit it fresh Monday morning and give it my absolute best. I didn't want it to get on late into the night and say, oh, well, um, here's me giving my 30%. You know, I want to like give it my all every time, you know? Uh, so today I have a lot to talk about. There are several things to dive into, several things I want to give my opinions on, thoughts on, and just kind of all in all break down all of my different thoughts here. So we got a humongous reveal this last week, uh, in between shows releasing and it came like towards the end of the week. I think it was like Thursday. Uh, they revealed and released the Batman teaser footage, uh, the test footage for the Batsuit for Robert pa- Robert Pattinson's The Batman. Now, this movie is like a little over a year away, June 25th of 2021, I think is the release date. And, uh, you know, with that being so far out now, you're slowly getting little, little peaks and things. Uh, I can't think of the guy who's playing Alfred... He is also, I can't think of his name, it doesn't matter, his name does not matter, but uh, anyways, they released this test footage, and it was pretty awesome, actually, you got, uh, it wasn't like a huge, you didn't get to see the full suit, you didn't get to see like the cape spinning around or anything, it was a very straightforward shot it was as batman is walking towards us definitely focuses on his chest in the very beginning there and then filters to like a side profile shot of not all the way up you don't get to see the ears on the cowl uh you you didn't get to see all of it now they just gave you part of it but wow it looked fucking cool so you're probably wondering like okay well it's cool tell me about it okay so it kind of has it's like almost the Arkham armor, but if the Arkham armor was inspired off the Tumblr from Batman Begins and the Dark Knight trilogy. So it's it's kind of like the breed of the two, but then here's the most interesting thing. The Batman Batsuit logo, the chest emblem, the thing that most people go and get most hyped about uh, when watching a Batman film, like... Oh, how's the suit going to look? You know, what form of the suit are they going to take? Are they going to completely reimagine Batman's visual? Or are they going to make some tiny tweaks? So here was where they did something very interesting. Because if you look at the chest of the Bat suit, the Bat 
logo isn't fully a bat. I mean, it definitely has the wings, it definitely has the shape, and it definitely has the contour that works nicely along with the suit itself. But it has kind of its own shape within a shape. And the more you look at it, the more you kind of start to think, well, that... If I put those two back ends together, that looks like a gun. And so my head started swirling. I was like, that looks like a gun. That looks like a gun. And I was thinking about it. And then, of course, before I can even think about it, Twitter's all over people with their theories of, is it a gun? Is it the Joe Chill gun? And honestly, I think, yeah, it is. This story is set after the first year. This is the sophomore season of Batman in uh, in Gotham. Uh, apparently, there's a big crime that has taken place and involves investigations into multiple bat villains. So it's it's kind of interesting how they're going about this. Uh, sort of um, more is like I don't I don't want to call it a murder mystery because I don't know exactly that that'll be it, but more with Batman being a detective in mind. It's not an action hero. He's not. He's got to use his fucking wits and 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 really be the detective that sometimes I think people forget Bruce Wayne was. Bruce Wayne and Batman debuted in Detective Comics 27. Just in case you didn't know that. Detective Comics. Just detective is the the main word there, detective. So he is at the heart a detective. He can figure shit out. And you know, sometimes in the Bat movies they've They've done a little bit of that, and they've given given him some like gadgets that make him detective you, but not like not like a detective detective having to solve crimes and have to come face to face with villains that he might not be fighting in the movie. That's a cool take on a film. Imagine that. Like, let's say this is just my ideal visualization for what I think Matt Reeves' Batman is going to be, just based on the few things. So, what if you have Batman going to Arkham? to ask all these different villains questions. Okay, you'll have some of the main players of the story are obviously your Colin Farrell Penguin, and you've got apparently Ed Nigma's going to be in this, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, uh, several other people, right? So with those different folks being in play in this movie, you assume right off the top of your head, oh, they're going to be committing crimes, Batman's going to be trying to stop them, that's the drama, that's what's going on. What if only one of them committed the crime, though, and everybody else is in a frame-up? And Batman has to go to Arkham, interview them, ask them their version of the event, and then piece together what actually happened with his detectiving, with his clues, and all that nature, and then ultimately uncover that none of the people that are uh, supposedly responsible or who's responsible at the last 30 seconds we get a Joker reveal or hush or something. You know, that's like a total, like, mind fuck, and you're just like, wait, what, who, no, ah, and then it makes you want to see another one, and that's what they got to do, they got a Batman movie now, you know, this is, we're in the, what is this going to be, the like, the third official full uh, uh, trilogy of movies, let's say, because that's what he's supposedly going to be doing, is three, so you had, like, uh, on the major motion picture side of things, 89 Batman starts it off, and then works its way till it dies with Batman and Robin. That's one arc of the Batman story. Even though multiple people play Batman and there's not as much continuity as I think comic book movies try to strive for now. I don't think they took that seriously back in the day. Like, oh, whatever. We recast. It's not a big deal. No, get them on a fucking contract and make them agree to do some shit, you know. So that way you have, you know, a guarantee that these people are going to show up and be your uh, title character, so that way there is some consistency and continuity. How cool would it have been if by the time we got to Batman Forever, it was still Michael Keaton, and still Tim Burton, and the still still Joker, and, and to, uh, you know a Riddler and Two-Face, but maybe that Tim Burton story is a lot darker, it's a lot different, it gives us, you know, it, it would be more rounded, or actually, you know, and it wouldn't have been uh, Tommy Lee Jones' Two-Face, you would have brought Billy D. Williams back as uh, Harvey Dent, and it would have been fucking killer, man, there would have been, it would have been so cool, honestly, so then you had your Batman Begins trilogy in 2005 to 2000, and what was that, like, 10, I think it was, 10 or 11, so that's the second full story arc, I don't really know if you can count, I mean, no, technically, 
he did three movies, right? Because he did Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, and Justice League. So Batfleck did three films, but it wasn't in a typical um, leading capacity for all those. He was definitely more the lead in Batman vs. Superman and in Justice League. Then he took a definite backseat. It was just a cameo for uh, Suicide Squad. So now we are in this new world, and Matt Reeves can really open the door and make people get their teeth sunk in by giving us everything we want. We want interactions with the villains. We want to see what they look like on the big screen. We want to feel this universe and go, wow, they captured the essence of Batman. You know, this bat suit right away makes me feel like they're capturing the essence of Batman because it's real. This is a bit more modernized. It's it's what Batman would have to wear in order to really actually survive the things he survives. Spoiler alert, without any superpowers. He's just got money. So this is high intensity, you know, super rubber or whatever that's bulletproof and shit. He's got the maybe the center piece for his bat suit also comes out as a batarang possibly it could be the joe chill gun or it could be a batarang possibly uh but how poetic would it be that if you know the murder weapon that is used to kill his parents bruce's parents that we probably won't see or if we do it'll be a very quick you know like 30 second trauma of just like quickly retelling the origin even though we all know it but then he gets the gun, and instead of killing Joe Chill, he vows to never use weapons, and we get a true Batman who doesn't have any kind of weaponry um, as far as guns are concerned. Because, again, go back to Detective Comics back in the day, Batman don't use guns, baby. He only uses gadgets and, you know, stuff that is non-lethal. That's kind of his thing. Turning Batman into a killing machine doesn't work because it just it's too dark. Batman has to be the kind of the hope, even though he is the Dark Knight. I know that's a little bit confusing, but that's the that's the real uh, sauce in the pan, as it were, you know. But I'm really excited for this. It's got uh, as you know, I'm going to steal from Kevin Smith right now because love Kevin Smith. But my bat pole is fully erect right now, so I'm really jazzed for this. I cannot wait to see what they do with this movie. It comes out a little over a year from now, folks. I'm sure. Probably in like four months, I would say somewhere in June or July, we'll get the first teaser, like full trailer, and then the hype will really start to build. They'll give us like a year of build, because I feel like they tested the waters with the Vimeo video Matt Reeves released of the test footage, but I feel it was very well received, so they're going to want to get something more than that out, and I feel like principal photography on the Batman is, is wrapped up, so or at least they're close. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Now, there's a couple more things we need to dive into in regards to DC News. And, you know, we're in the movie world right now, so let's just kind of keep it there. Uh, I just want to say that Birds of Prey is starting to kind of get their comeback. Uh, they went from a very, very, very poor opening weekend. They made about $81 million. Now they've already almost doubled that, and usually movies slow down, not get right nearly the same amount of numbers so this is good because it's going to start to have staying power there's a movement on twitter to get people like there's a whole why i love the birds of prey movement happening which i think is really cool it's trying to get people to say listen you have reservations because it's dc and we fucking get that man but maybe this is a step in the right direction and i've heard through the grapevine and multiple friends Ewan McGregor's Black Mask is hands down the best villain that has ever existed in a DC Comics movie. And that is fucking high praise, considering you've had several Oscar winners for their portrayal of the Joker in uh, Joaquin Phoenix and in uh, Heath Ledger. You know, four times as a movie attached to the Joker, Suicide Squad and 89 Batman, one an Oscar, so those four movies all, you know, play in nice here. Uh, so then you have uh, Ewan McGregor's Black Mask. Of course, it's Ewan McGregor. He's a stud of an athlete. Think about the movies he's done in the past. And you put him in a, like, a kind of a comedy where he's the, the, the bad guy who can be funny but bad. 
Like there's there's some real uh, magic that could be happening there, and I have not yet seen Birds of Prey. It is on my 100% need to do it as soon as humanly, physically possible. Radar, I'm trying, folks. I'm gonna try my best to see it so I can actually review the movie and tell you guys like, hey, it's really good, or hey. You might want to wait till it comes to Blu-ray. I don't think that's going to be the case, though, because I do feel like people really want to see this movie do well, and I feel like it could do really well. I mean, it's already halfway to what Shazam grossed in its full uh, entire run in theaters, which is impressive, considering I thought Shazam was really good. So money speaking, monetarily speaking, I guess the way to say that, if for some reason... You have Shazam made X dollar, and then uh, Birds of Prey makes just below that. That doesn't really fully give you the picture, but it says, look, here was a a solo superhero movie based on uh, Shazam that, you know, kind of still flew under the radar. I don't think I even have, I don't know that I have a single friend who has actually seen Shazam. I think I'm like the only person. So that says something. And I feel like I know more people already that have seen Birds of Prey. So I'm hopeful, folks. I'm hopeful. Uh, now, speaking of, uh, we talked about the Oscars, and I need to go there, but I don't want to miss this other bit of news really quickly. So before we jump into a little bit more Oscar talk, I need to say this. You guys, I'm very excited. DC has decided to do something, and they've done this before, where they've taken something that existed in their in their universe once before, and then just continued that lineage or that storyline in comic book form. They did it for uh, what was what they did it. For? I just fucking ah, my brain is on fire right now. Um, oh, they did it for sixty six Batman. That's right. Uh, Batman sixty six was the series, and you know they had uh, Adam West looking Batman and Burt Ward looking Robin and all these characters and whatnot, and and that was pretty awesome. And that was a run that went for quite some time. Uh, so now you have, and this is amazing news, and it's amazing for multiple reasons, especially if you know like the the history of the Batman. Uh, universe so dc is announcing today that they're bringing a new comic called um oh what was i just saw it no 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 no. here it is so this book is called the batman the adventures continue it's going to be available digitally in April, which is important. The first issue will hit comic shops in May. So it's about a month later you'll get it in, in physical form. So what is Batman Adventure Continues? Well, I'm going to tell you guys. It is based on Batman, the animated series, uh, which also had a comic book story for a while there. Uh, and this is a spin-out that will publish the six-issue miniseries. So it's just six issues to really give you more of that world. We're going to go back to those characters, how they looked, the feel of them, and be introduced to maybe some new characters we never got to see in the animated series form. You know, uh, they have a teaser for, I don't know if this is the cover for issue one or what, but it's Batman on a building, and then in the different uh panels of this building are the villains kind of in a big uh collage for some reason i couldn't get the word collage but uh the cool thing is paul dini is helming this and paul dini was very famous for a lot of the great storylines uh that were on batman the animated series including the uh nora freeze storyline with mr freeze and that was very very heart crushing. Uh, but this is an opportunity for him to flex a different muscle. I feel like if it takes off and people buy it and it gets, you know, good reviews and stuff, it could become a full series coming out of a, a limited mini series. Uh, but we'll have to see exactly how they decide to play this. Uh, it, he also said it will introduce Jason Todd, Deathstroke, and Azrael. So new characters for sure, old characters for sure, 
Batman, and I guess you're just going to have to have, like, Kevin Conroy's voice in your head when you're reading it, which is easy, because anytime I read Batman, it's already Kevin Conroy's voice. So I'm really looking forward to that, you guys. As soon as I saw that, I was like, fuck, we got to talk about that on the show, and then, of course, I lost the fucking article, because you guys know me, even though I have it together and I'm totally professional. Sometimes I'm not professional. I don't mean to be. All right, so let's go back to that Marvel talk, and this is not something that I even have in my notes, but I want to discuss it really quickly because the Oscar talk is what we're going to get into right now for a second because you had Joker won best uh, score, and Joaquin Phoenix, uh, as I said earlier, won for best actor. Uh, You, you know had Avengers Endgame up for, like, a visual effects nomination, I think, and that was, like, pretty much it. And they did not win. And that's what I want to talk about, is Endgame not winning anything and becoming the first highest-grossing film of all time to not win an Oscar award. I just want you guys to think about that for a second. Isn't that crazy? Like, that is absolutely bizarre. Also, absolutely bizarre is in eight years, we're going to have the 100th anniversary of the Oscars. And things are changing at the Oscars. That's pretty cool. So, back to it. Let's stay... Eh, sure. Let's just kind of stay in the Marvel train. Because there's a lot now to discuss in uh, Mar- Marvel. So, we have... We got the teaser at the Super Bowl for the Loki Plus series, you know. Or the Loki series on Disney Plus. Loki Plus. That's cool. But we had the Loki series on Disney Plus, and it, I, you know, there's questions, rumors, conjecture, and then I I saw something today, and I want to address it because I think it's brilliant. I really think this is a very plausible path. Okay, this is a definitely plausible path for what Marvel could be be doing and setting up, and and we're gonna go. Bigger, bigger picture in all of this. So in Endgame, you have the moment in New York where Loki steals the Tesseract and then escapes from captivation just after the events of New York happened. Uh, you know, after everything is cool and, you know, Tony doesn't die from going in the wormhole. So... He disappears, and from what we know, the Loki series on Disney Plus is going to feature him in different timelines, uh, up to trouble and doing different things. So this rumor states that the villain could be the main villain of the Disney Plus show, because how do you have a villain in a story about a villain? The villain could be Kang the Conqueror. Now, I brought up Kang before. There are three versions of Kang. There's Iron Lad, Kang the Conqueror, and then the, the Ancient One, which I cannot ever remember the Ancient One's actual name. Maybe it is just Ancient One. I can't remember, though. But uh, anyways, three versions, three different timeline versions of him. Okay, Kang is obsessed with keeping the timeline perfect and fixing it. And while, sure, the Avengers are one problem, the smallest easiest problem to fix and if you look at the timeline aside from the events of 1970 which i don't know directly if they would have as much effect in the overall timeline because it wasn't somebody leaving or dying or things changing the first time something systematically changed and there was a fracture that didn't get fixed by cap going back and giving back mjolnir and the stones was loki in 2012 and that is where Kang is going to be alerted, because he's monitoring the timeline, that there's an anomaly, and he's going to go hunting. And I think the end of the Disney Plus series is either going to end in the actual death of Loki, or the imprisonment of Loki, which is going to be dealt with maybe at a later time, where we can use him in like five or ten years, and it's got like some weight that he's we know he's been captured this whole time. Holy shit. So Kang... Uh, usually kills people, but you know, for the sake of it being Disney, I'll say maybe he will spare Loki or not. How tragedy? How tragic would that be? 
Everybody's like, oh my god, we got Loki on Disney+. Plus." They kill him anyways at the end of the six issues or six episodes. Ah, they killed him again. You bastards. So, my thought though. Kang is going to hunt Loki. And that's also where he's going to realize that even though the Avengers technically, technically didn't change that much. I mean, they did save half the universe. Uh... You know, they tried to get away with it, is essentially they were good at covering their tracks for the most part. But Loki is going to be kind of what alerts Kang that you think I did something bad. Well, you should see what my brother did or whatever. And then that sets up this next saga, which really, you look at it right now and you're like, what saga are they telling? Like, they got Black Widow as a story they're putting in there, Shang-Chi, you've got... Doctor Strange and Universe, the Multiverse of Madness, and New Spider-Man, and Thor Love and Thunder, and the Eternals, and what story could they be telling? And I think that the thing they're going to tell is, is they're going to try to tell a little bit more independent stories overall, with the goal of just giving the universe some more depth and thickness, because you can really elevate other stories just by mentioning them or just having brief uh, one-offs involving them throughout your universe. It's just fleshing out the bigger picture, and you're going to see where maybe other characters were when the snap happened or, or you know, in other events earlier on, Ultron, in Sokovia, things of that nature. If all that is done, then who, who are you setting up for your big bad? Well, what you set up is all these tethers... Because it's not just going to be the Avengers that are judged. It's going to be all of Earth. And new heroes are going to have to emerge to stop Kang. And Kang is a much more dangerous threat. So you need a wider array, in my opinion, a bigger net of hero to try to stop him. Really interesting thing. You can take the kid who is in Iron Man 3, who also appears at Tony's funeral in Endgame. Make him Iron Lad, meaning he is a version of Kong. Or Kang the Conqueror, sorry, not Kong. Kang the Conqueror, my words got twisted there. Uh, but yeah, he can be a version of Kang. And literally, you're really world building in a way that makes Iron Man 3 more important. It makes people go back to that series and even watch and pay attention. And you kind of realize like, oh dude, this kid's kind of like a good version, you know, of, in the timeline of Kang. And then when we see him... Um, as the actual villain, he'll look like a alien from the future and be Kang, and then we'll see an ancient. Ver I mean, there's, there's, they're gonna, yeah. I mean, so many cool things they can do with Kang. I really do hope this rumor is true because I think you can flesh the world down a lot more, as I said, as well as uh, evolve what it means to be a villain in the MCU. Because Thanos was pretty brutal, and at this point. If you're a villain and you aren't killing or attempting to kill every hero at all passes, well, the level isn't as high because, I mean, Thanos wiped out half of all of existence. It's a pretty tall order, you know? So, I mean, and then what they say, kill one man, you're a murderer. Kill many, you're a conqueror. And kill them all, you're a god. So... Uh, Thanos sets the bar, and we got to get a new bar set, and Kang could be that uh, for this next saga in the Marvel world. I cannot wait to see what they do. There's, uh, let's see here. Speaking of the Marvel world, let's talk about one of the next movies coming up. And this is a pretty big topic. I think it is worth discussing. I'm going to read this from an article Posted on comicbook.com. That's just gonna uh, dive us into this here. So, over the last decade, there's been unprecedented growth from Marvel Studios, which has gone from focusing on the core characters of the Avengers, now establishing all franchises and their billion dollar production house. Over the last few years, we've seen them put a spotlight on major black superheroes, the King of Wakanda and Black Panther, as well as female superheroes headlining films like Captain Marvel and Black Widow, the forthcoming movie. <clears throat> and at the end of this year, the Eternals will apparently reveal the first openly out gay superhero to the world. 
There have been rumblings about Brian Tyree Henry's character of Fastos being gay in the film, though it wasn't clear if it would be up front as a relationship prominently or if it would be more subtle as in Beauty and the Beast's portrayal of LeFoe. But actor Haas Slayman confirmed he will portray Fastos' husband in the movie, even going so far as to confirm the Eternals will feature Marvel's first on-screen gay kiss. Telling Logo's new now next i just shot a marvel film with the first openly gay superhero the eternals i am married to a gay superhero fastos played by atlanta's brian tyree henry and we represent a gay family and have a child uh when asked if the film would feature an intimate moment between the characters uh slamming conformed Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's beautiful. Very moving kiss. Everyone cried on set. For me, it's very important to show how love and beautiful a queer family can be. Brian Tyree Henry is such a tremendous actor and brought so much beauty into this part, and at one point I saw a child in his eyes. I think it's important for the world to be reminded that we in the queer community were all children at one point. We forget that because we're always depicted as sexual or rebellious. We forget to connect on that human part. So that's pretty exciting. I am an advocate and an open supporter for the LGBTQ plus community. I think that uh, you are who you are. You love who you love. I don't give a fuck about what you think. If someone on the inside feels womanly, they have every right to be that if that's going to make them feel happy to be existing. And that's what we need to remember as human beings is that we are all striving for self-happiness. And it's not about somebody else. It's not about, hey, who's given what to s you know who's who's banging who or you know whatever it is or who's loving who it should be who's happy and why aren't we all striving for genuine happiness and now i think that it's important to note when i say genuine happiness i do not include in that genuine happiness these fucking scumbags they're like well i just you know i'm really into like Younger kids, man. No, fuck you, pedophiles. Go away. Like, you guys are a real problem. It's really gross that they think, like, oh, well, if everybody should just love who they love, we just love kids, man. No. Fuck off, dude. Like, go take a long walk off a short cliff. Or a short, you know, you know what I mean. So you just toast yourselves, guys. Like, come on, man. I think two consenting adults can be happy. Three consenting adults, five consenting adults, 18 consenting adults, if that's what you're into, can be happy. However, your paradigm works, works. But if it's not involving consenting adults, there should be no existence of it on this planet. And it's really unfortunate and disgusting that I have to even give this PSA on uh, JIC. But I want to make sure folks understand my views. And I think also let me just say this. If you're an asshole who's listening to this right now going, oh, man, he likes them gay folks. Yeah, I think all people are fucking cool because everybody has something great to offer this earth if they're allowed to shine. And I mean that. If you're out in the world right now, you're homosexual or you're bisexual or you're transgendered or you're a part of the queer community or you're just general pocket gay you have something amazing to offer the world that has nothing to do with who you love you have talent you have skills i'm sure you have grace i think that it takes a lot of grace to walk in a world where there's so much viciousness towards somebody loving somebody else like it shouldn't matter that much we're i mean i know we're still very young in our species here but uh you know you think about it and we as a species very much have an opportunity to move the needle. And if there was better peace, better unity, we had better world leaders across the board. You know, if we could get uh, a certain person out of the White House, if we could get a certain person out of power from Russia, if we could, uh, you know, get people out of North Korea and out of China specifically who are in control and get people who are world builders thinking about everybody as a whole being one unified thing because we're all in this together we're all on this rock together you know what if scientists tomorrow come out and go by the way folks we have exactly six weeks until global warming is going to wipe every single one of us out 
What are we going to do? Are we all going to fucking go, well, I'm going to kill you because you're gay? No. We're all going to be like, we fucking need to work together to solve this problem or we're done. The end. Like, every single human person needs to focus their energy on solving the problem. So, uh, just to say it again, man. If you're struggling and you're in that community. Know you have supporters. Know you have people that may not look like supporters to you or may not on the outset look like somebody who would necessarily support your viewpoints that do and that will speak up for you and will speak out for you and, and are at the ready to, you know, snap off somebody's fucking head if they say some really gross shit, you know, and that's for real. So uh, I'm excited for Marvel doing this. I think it's a really large step. I think it get, it's an opportunity to uh, get the conversation going some more and really make an impactful moment. You know, we had the tease with uh, one of the Russo brothers. I think it was Joe Russo being the, the technically first openly gay character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in Endgame when he's talking about going on a date. And it's very, very subtle. He cried, I cried. It's just in dialogue. It's not, there's no action behind it. Uh, and this is an opportunity for that to be the case. Now, this could also be a very interesting trial for uh, interesting futures. I know that uh, Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson, and uh, Brie Larson have said they would love if what people are saying would be great online. There are people that quote-unquote ship relationships, um, saying that Captain Marvel and Valkyrie being in a relationship together would be amazing. Because again, Valkyrie you subtly kind of get the subtext that she might have been with one of the other Valkyrie, the one that throws herself uh, in front of Hela's sword in uh, Ragnarok. But also, it seems that they just didn't have enough, uh, the timing wasn't right or whatever to make that fully known that it was a relationship. So it's kind of, again, in conjecture. Could be true, might not be true. Who knows? We'll have to find out. So to talk about Thor, actually, I think that's a, a really nice little jumping on point here because Taika has said something very interesting, and I said it a, a while ago. I said, you know, if you're doing a Jane Foster becomes Thor in Love and Thunder, you have to do her storyline because the storyline with Jane Foster getting cancer and then Thor realizing and then goes and gives her the gives her Mjolnir and she is worthy and she becomes Thor fully not and, and like is fully empowered by Thor uh and, you know he gives I think he gives her the power of Thor uh, but you know it was rumored they were going to do the cancer storyline I thought it was very beautiful it could be a very impactful moving story more you know Oscar worthy conversation because it could be a very more much more serious film that involves heroes as opposed to them thinking all superhero movies are just one general subtext of movie that has no other substance um, and I'm looking at you Martin Scorsese because you didn't win an Oscar this year bitch anyways uh, Taika says this when asked about if they will actually bring that to light he said we don't know that comics run was a big inspiration and was an influence on the first few drafts but at Marvel, we always change everything. I could say one thing right now, and in two years, it will be the complete opposite. Or that thing won't exist. We continue writing even in post-production. When asked if those decisions are an edict coming from Marvel Studios and head honcho Kevin Feige, Watiti made it clear that it all comes down to telling a story that audiences will connect to. He says, Based on what the audience wants, we test the film. We shot for two weeks of Thor Ragnarok with our pickups. There were huge, huge character changes, huge story changes. We shot entire scenes. We reshot entire scenes. I think that's why they do good work. They're relentless in their pursuit of a just good of just a good movie. So <clears throat> I think this could be a misstep. Not using I get listen. I get what he did there. Because he answered by not really answering, and he said both ways. He said yes, it could be real. No, it could be false we did take inspiration from it but also we change things all the time so that you as the audience aren't still 100 percent sure what this movie is going to be that way there's some level of excitement if he just came out and said hey folks yep super excited we're going to be absolutely doing the cancer storyline with jane foster and she's going to get the helmet and it's going to be great everybody would be like 
yeah, we kind of expected that, Taika, but now there's a little bit of mystery. We are uncertain exactly what's at stake, what's at play, and uh, I don't know, man. We're just going to have to see here. Now, it's interesting because I have one more piece of official, official, official Marvel news, uh, which is some comic book-related stuff, and then some more movie talk uh, to wrap it up. So let's dive into this really quick as Marvel has delayed the J.J. Abrams Henry Abrams and Sarah Pacelli uh, story, which just concluded with a recent cliffhanger introducing cybernetically reanimated versions of the Avengers. Fans following the series are going to have a while to wait because Spider-Man 4 was first scheduled on December 11th. It was delayed until February 19th. Now, Marvel has pushed that same book back once again, the fourth issue of this series, all the way back to April 8th that also will push the release of the fifth and final issue of the series, Spider-Man 5, scheduled for January 29th and then rescheduled for April 15th, moved now to May 27th. So you're going to get on April 8th, issue 4, and on May 27th, issue 5, and then shortly thereafter, Tyler and I are going to probably do a one-episode story arc coverage of that entire story. I want to do it a little bit differently than we did Powers of X, House of X. I know you guys are like, we didn't even fucking finish House of X, Powers of X. We promise we're going to sit down and do it. It has been crazy. Things have been wild. Things have been off the rails. And it's difficult. Difficult. So <clears throat> once Tyler's schedule settles down, once everything with my schedule settles down a little bit, that's going to be one of our next focuses. Okay, I promise. So. What's next, you might ask? Well, we just talked about Spider-Man. Let's talk about Spider-Woman as it seems Sony is bringing Spider-Woman to their Marvel movie universe. According to a new report, they're eyeing uh, director Michelle McLaurin, who is known for uh, work on Game of Thrones, Better Call Saul, and Breaking Bad, uh, to be the director. It, it would be her first feature film, which is pretty cool. They're also saying that Jessica Drew um, is in mind... Oh, the lead actress in mind to play the part of Jessica Drew would be Tomb Raider's Alicia Vikander. And according to early ideas for the project, the film will have Drew becoming ill after months of exposure to uranium, which she was around because of her father's scientific experiments. To save her, he is forced to use an experimentational medicine, which is based on the biology of an ir irradiated spider. Sound familiar? For the process to work, she had to be sealed away in a genetic accelerator to amplify the serum's effects. But crazily enough, she doesn't wake up from the process until decades later. She hasn't aged much in that time, and the serum also gave her a unique set of powers, though she has no memory of how she got there or why. Those powers will hopefully involve her patented venom blasts, though it will be interesting to see if the movie adopts one of her other abilities. That ability is her special pheromones, which can cause a number of reactions other, including fear, attraction, and repulsion. She can also stick to walls and has supreme agility like Spider-Man, Peter Parker. There remains to be seen how the movie will interact with the greater MCU. It is being described more like Venom, um, but it isn't being secluded from the MCU, so there's always a possibility that she could show up in the next big Marvel team-up, which would be pretty fucking cool, honestly. Uh, so speaking of Venom as well, we'll just dive into that. And, I, and let me just really quickly say on Spider-Woman, I'm excited for that. I don't really know the character as well as I want to. I like Spider-Man. But I, just on that little synopsis of that story, I'm like, oh, I could really get down with that. And I'm very interested in what that's going to be like. So give me whatever that is. I want more of, quote unquote, that. So could. OK, let's go ahead and talk about this before we get into that one, uh, because we got a picture on set from Tom Hardy of Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy. And here's an interesting note. He's in a definite Hawaiian shirt. One thing to mention, and I think this is very interesting to mention, is that you can very, very, very barely see on the just tippy top of his forehead there where his hair meets, just the faintest line of red to show that they're going to keep him redhead, so they're not going to change that. Cool that he has the skull. It looks kind of crazy. It's really cool to have Woody Harrelson in this character, too, because he can be a kind of older dude as Cletus, who, when he gets the suit, the powers make him undestructible, so indestructible, so it's just awesome. But this is neat to see, because I wasn't certain how I was going to feel about it, and 
Tom Hardy showing this first look at Woody Harrelson uh, just gets me jazzed. I mean, dude, fucking Carnage and Venom has been something I've been asking for all the way back in the Tobey Maguire era. I would say when the first Spider-Man came out, 2001 or 2002, I think it was 2002, I remember saying, oh, it's going to be awesome because the third one, they should totally do Venom and Carnage because it's like the big penultimate finish, like great, huge, you know, that would be amazing. And it would have been absolutely amazing. And they did Venom half-assedly and it wasn't as good as it could have been. And they decided to do Sandman instead and like rehash the story of Ben Parker dying. And I, I didn't really like it. But anyways... Speaking of Sony, speaking of Marvel, there's an interesting date that we need to talk about, and it's October 8th of next year. And why is that interesting? Well, both Disney and Sony have stated they have a movie coming out on that day. Both major studios are releasing a movie on that day, separately of each other, that's based in their worlds? That's weird. I don't know if I like it. Uh, it's strange. I don't know if I'm down with that. Doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense because what? They're working together again. So why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because they didn't do that, you guys. It's the same goddamn movie. Here's what I want to say. I think we're, we've are we been not bamboozled. I think we've just been... Um, we did the right thing complaining to them not to end the relationship between the two studios and to, and to find a way to work shit out. Like, that was a huge step for us because they went, oh, people really are invested. And the crossovers could really work. And if we draw uh, Tom Holland in and make him this universe that we're telling all these other side stories, they're Spider-Man, while also he is building his world as Spider-Man in the MCU, it could be unstoppable. And then you look at this October 8th, 2021 date, and a a lot of conjecture here. But could we be seeing the first official movie that's going to be 50-50? Co-split, 100%, one movie released. It's a Tom Holland-driven movie, let's say, with Craven the Hunter. And that's a way to get building towards your Sinister Six movie without telling a Spider-Man story that is the Craven's last hunt story. You can do Craven's storyline there in his own original thing where he can tell his origin and his dramas and whatnot and build to that while Tom Holland can fight other uh, awesome villains in the Marvel Universe that can elevate that as well. And then I'll have all of them eventually coalescing with Sinister Six at some point. I think that is what they're aiming to do. Uh, I don't know if they will pull it off. I don't know if that is exactly what they're going to do. But I feel in my heart and in my bones that... They kind of learned their lesson because I think they saw a lot of real genuine outrage and backlash and went, shit, if we don't just give fans what they want, if we don't just say, okay, sure, we'll, uh, you know, do what you're asking here and we'll make sure that we stay together, that there's going to be backlash down the road. So now they're kind of tethered. Now they go, well, got all these great ideas. Venom 2 is going to feature a cameo of Tom Holland, most likely. You've got... Tom Hardy versus Cletus Cassidy. That's pretty cool. Uh, if they can find a clever way to either bring Spider-Man directly in or early on influence the Venom suit so that, you know, Tom Hardy has some sort of negativity towards Peter Parker Spider-Man because now the world knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So, and you've got buses in Morbius where is Spider-Man. So could that be taking place just before and just after the events we've seen in the MCU in that three-year time frame? Well, really, it's more than three years if you think about uh, Far From Home in the timeline because, uh, let's see, 2018 is when... This is confusing, by the way, but this is exactly the timeline, just so you're following. 2018 is when Homecoming happens. The snap happens, and then eventually we get to 2023, 2023, five years later, right? Uh, So, all right. We're in 2023 now with Spider-Man Far From Home. Is this story taking place in a five-year gap instead of it being really a two or three year gap we'll have to see but it could be and you know we're getting 
maybe the after credit sequence could be the the Adrian Toomes thing, or maybe you don't set it up as an after credit sequence. Maybe he's depends on how they tell the story. It just depends on how they tell the Morbius story. That's what's got me excited. I don't know how exactly they're going to frame that story up. That has me jazzed. I have kind of an idea of what they might be doing with Venom 2. I'm really jazzed. The idea and the concept that we could be getting a Craven movie blows my fucking gourd. I'm super excited. He debuts in Amazing Spider-Man 15, which is one of the early issues that I have. Uh, I really desperately need to get Amazing Spider-Man 14 so I can have... Uh, you know, some of the best first appearances because the Amazing Spider-Man 14 is Green Goblin. Um, I could literally sit here all day and just go down the list of here's the first appearance of so-and-so in the Amazing Spider-Man series. But anyways, we have all the thoughts, all the concepts of what's going to be happening in the coming months in the world of Spider-Man, in the world of, I mean... <clears throat> Marvel as a whole, DC has gotten crazy, go see Birds of Prey, you heard me babbling about it, you know, I, I don't really have anything else to add this week, folks, it is a little bit of a shorter episode, I do apologize for that, not that it's something I need to apologize for, I just like giving you juicy bits, and I feel like this one's a little bit more self-contained, very focused, anyways, folks, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Journey into Comics, as always, Check us out on journeyintocomics.com. Please go visit the .com. It's very important that you do so you can see all the work we've put in. And you can actually see the vision of the network. Because some of you, hopefully you're getting to this point. Hopefully you haven't shut it off yet. But some of you are not seeing the network as you should. And what I mean by that is Spotify is showing you the show logos. And that's important. So you identify this is a show you're watching and it feels unique and original and uh, its own thing within our network. Individuality. However, iTunes, some of the other places that you listen to your podcasts, if it's not Podbean or Spotify, Podbean being the one I would most suggest, you're not getting those logos. It doesn't quite have the same aesthetic. And I know you listen to podcasts, you don't look at podcasts, but in my mind, if I look at the logo of a show, I'm like, oh, gearing up for that show, I can't wait to listen to this show, I can't wait to hear what they have to say on that show. But if I see the same logo for every single show, I'm like, oh, I wish they would have put a little thought into that. And we have put a lot of thought into it, it's just that the podcasting companies are kind of being screwy. You guys are hearing the yelling loud ass cat, Ami. She's meowing as loud as she can to let you know that it's time to wrap up the show. Folks, also go to Apple Music, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, many others. Just search, as you guys know, Journey into Comics Network. You can also search uh, some of the other shows now. I've been working on getting tags on them so that when you search them on the different platforms, they bring up some of the shows, not all of the episodes. That's, again, why it's really good to go to our .com. You can see the archives Find the episodes you want to download and get, you know, send them to your phone or whatever. Anyways, folks, I want to thank you so much for listening to Journey into Comics 283. I have been your host, Nate. And as always, pop your caps back, fill your brains with shit. Later, guys. <laughs>